we are always evangelizing. Our mission is to connect as many readers with authors and books. And the publishers want discovery of their collections. Authors want discovery and use and socialization and promotion of their books, their new books, and their backlist. And through the Overdrive Marketplace, we have created probably the largest superstore for how schools, libraries, government institutions worldwide can evaluate opportunities to serve their communities with digital books, digital media. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Steve Potash, who is the president and CEO of Overdrive, a company that he founded here in Cleveland back in 1986, and over the last three decades, a company that he has built to become the leading digital reading platform for ebooks, audiobooks, and other digital media for libraries, schools, government agencies, corporate learning centers, and colleges and universities worldwide. Overdrive today manages the largest global network of digital book lending libraries, over 40,000 libraries and schools worldwide in over 72 countries with over 1 billion checkouts of ebooks. As CEO, Steve focuses on Overdrive's vision to create a world enlightened by reading, a vision which he is still working tirelessly towards today. A true pioneer in the digital content and distribution industry, Steve was among the first to develop useful applications for digital books in the 1980s. He began his career offering innovative floppy disks, CD-ROM, and print-to-digital conversion services, and introduced early versions of digital books to the law, accounting, and healthcare industries, which we will cover in our conversation. I very much enjoyed Steve's perspective on the importance of libraries in our society and technology's implications for reading and literacy. I hope you all heed Steve's advice to visit your local library, and I also hope you all enjoy my conversation with Steve Potash. So uh, there is a, a lot to cover here, and unlike many of the, the startups that we have had on the show, we are, are not just going back a, a few years in time here to arrive at the origin story. There's a real depth of history and the proverbial overnight success 20 years plus in the making. I'm excited to explore with you. But before we kind of dive into how Overdrive has come to be and evolve over the years, I'd love to start with just a brief overview of Overdrive today. And we can then kind of circle back to how you've gotten here and how Overdrive has has come to be. My pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Overdrive today is a supplier of digital books, premium digital books, ebooks you can download and read on the screen, audiobooks you can listen in your earbuds or connect to your car while you're commuting or walking, and other premium digital media in partnership with all the world's greatest authors and publishers and in service to institutions that help our communities. And these institutions are primarily public libraries, our schools for our K-12 community, as well as we serve universities, corporate knowledge centers, and, and worldwide institutions. At the end of the day, if you've ever discovered or downloaded a book, 
listen to an audiobook or got a digital magazine from a school or library, it's most likely come from overdrive. Mm. And I, I know the the path to to ebooks, to libraries even was an evolution of of where the company originally started. And I, I'd love to to just kind of dive into what was the original problem and how you came to recognize it and your own proclivity towards entrepreneurship. You know, what were kind of the formative moments that drew you towards this company and the vision and the the path you've now blazed with what Overdrive has become today? Well, Jeff, as, as, as you mentioned during the, the opening remarks, I've had the pleasure of um, being on a journey on how technology can enable access to information inside what was the pages of a print book. I've been on this journey for over 30 some years. At the earliest days, I'm a born and bred here in Northeast Ohio, graduated from Cleveland Heights High School, and I was a lifelong entrepreneur. But as part of my entrepreneur early days, I also went to law school at night at Cleveland State University, the Cleveland Marshall College of Law. And it was after getting my degree and passing the bar that I decided to test my law license and open my own practice. And it was that early experience in the mid-late 70s, really late 70s, where I became frustrated with the fact that the practice of law required producing tons of paper, paper that was required either in communication with clients, lawsuits, contracts, and the like. Most of the content for the practice of law was in print books. And it was the opportunity for me to imagine how I might be able to unlock print book content into a digital format that would enable me to be more productive and and more efficient at the practice of law. That started a process of digitizing law books. And long story short, Overdrive today, from those early beginnings of taking books in print, and imagining how the content of a book could be available in a digital electronic format for benefiting readers, users, it's, that's a 30-year journey. So I started as an entrepreneur, opening my own law practice, trying to digitize books. And as they say, one thing leads to another. I built, <laughs> I built a series of digital electronic book products. And I said, with my technology and the book publisher's content, we could create a new series of electronic book products. And that led me to my first deal with West Publishing in the early 80s, early mid 80s, and creating a series of electronic books. And that is still the basis of Overdrive's business today. We are a trusted partner to all the world's greatest publishers, authors, every category, every subject. They know that if they partner with Overdrive, their book content and Overdrive's technology and know-how can create new opportunities to reach readers and for their authors and their publishing businesses, help expand their brand, their sales, and their, and their growth as well. When you reflect back uh, on this journey and thinking back to some of those formative moments where maybe it was just you know in the law space, was there ever a vision or an inclination that Overdrive could grow to be the company that it is today with the scale and the impact that it has? Or were you really just kind of focused on the early days from a vision perspective and in solving 
a really specific problem in, in the digitalization of, of content in books? No, I think the vision started in the early mid-80s when I was first trying to develop electronic law books. This was pre-PC. And law firms were using dedicated word processors, old daisy wheel printers. And it wasn't until the early mid-80s when Radio Shack and CPM and then eventually DOS 1.0, Bill Gates, IBM, PC started to demonstrate that there could be this complete new future where on every desk, whether it's in your home or office, there could be a, a personal computer. And it was the personal computer revolution that allowed me to imagine that on the screen that was sitting in front of me in my South Euclid home, why wouldn't I want to have access to every book for purposes of either information or my business or for purposes of um, education or entertaining the value that books deliver. And so early on, I started to imagine how it was a personal computer that followed um, the early R&D work I was doing with digitizing law books that really gave me the interest of starting to go to New York and then saying, well, if we did this for the legal publishing community and expanded reach for their products into the law office, why shouldn't we be talking to other industries? And we did then go first to professional publishing. We wound up, and again, these products were initially floppy diskette electronic products. Right, right. Ebooks wasn't a word. We were doing electronic publishing on floppy diskettes and three and a half diskettes. And it was CD-ROM that really opened up the door. So I started going in the 80s to McGraw-Hill, educational publishers, tax, medical, college textbook publishers, and starting to challenge them that the future of their book business would need to include an electronic edition. And I think it was a personal computer that was a real eye-opener that this appliance was going to make access to digital books uh, something affordable. I bought my first IBM PC at Sears on a credit card. <laughs> How much resistance was there in the early days of painting this vision for people that is drastically different from how historically it has ever been feasible? Well, we were decades too early. There was an eagerness for professional, educational reference publishers to take advantage of these new outlets for their intellectual property, for their editorial products. And we really started to build the company quite dramatically during the CD-ROM era, pre-internet. And that was a period of growth. And many of these professional published products that we have, and we have a, a, an ebook museum at Overdrive's headquarters, these uh, kept us growing through the 80s and early 90s because many of these products were also evergreen titles. Hmm. And meaning that if you bought your tax guide, it was almost precursor of today's subscriptions. If you were purchasing CD-ROM uh, reference materials, every year you'd need the new edition. But it was still fairly limited to 
uh, professional um, publishing segments. And I had always imagined that CD-ROM, which then enabled us in the advent of Windows multimedia. Again, when I started, I was dealing with a monochrome monitor where text on the screen was a big thing. Just to right. have the electronic words. I'll never forget when um, I was pitching in the early days, Western Union. They couldn't believe that we could have upper and lower case in a message because they had <laughs> gone 100 years with all one font size. <laughs> so, I mean, I was really early pioneering. CD-ROM was, was, was a great decade of growth discovery and and. It allowed us to then also start to dabble into some of the consumer hobby markets. And, and we started to do R&D deals with Simon & Schuster, at the time, Time Warner Book Group. And so CD-ROM also was another platform that, that, that helped Overdrive grow and broaden its appeal across different publishing segments and into broader audiences. In the 90s, if you were a college textbook publisher and you wanted to get a state or a major university to adopt your history 101 book, it almost was expected that you would have a CD-ROM in the back of the textbook mm. or a CD-ROM for the instructor edition. So the 90s pre-internet were, were good for Overdrive to establish and broaden our partnership across the publishing segments. We got out of just professional law, tax, accounting, and really started to introduce herself into education, consumer, business, uh, publishing partnerships. And by the way, many of the publishing partnerships that we started in the 80s and 90s, Overdrive still enjoys. You know, we've evolved with our suppliers. And of course, you know, in the last 20 years, we've helped pioneer and develop new ways for communities, students, and all citizens to benefit themselves from access to a book and or, you know, information from their school or library. One of the ideas that I had just been kind of curious about, I feel like the tension is still there today, I imagine, as much as it was back then, but really with the advent of digital book lending and how you kind of paved the path for that, what I've been thinking about is how do you navigate that digital book lending model in a way where you can satisfy and balance the interests of publishers from where you started, but to now include libraries, schools, and authors in a way where it's the symbiotic relationship where everyone mm -hmm. kind of comes out a, a winner? Well, it's, it's something that is an ongoing balancing act. We have been operating a continuous marketplace called Overdrive Marketplace as the platform that brings together the buyers and sellers of digital books. The sellers are obviously the 25, 30,000 publishers, imprints that we have distribution partnerships with, and they stop, you know, go from the largest houses like Penguin Random House and the Simon & Schuster's HarperCollins down to thousands and thousands of small press worldwide in every language. So Overdrive Marketplace has created a very robust network 
that allows the publishers, authors, and rights holders to set the terms, pricing, and conditions to enable libraries, schools, corporate lending sites, knowledge centers, government agencies, military buyers worldwide to evaluate if they want to purchase access to digital titles or collections and how they make them available to their their readers. And through this marketplace, we have evolved over 20 years to evolve with a variety of content models that range from how we launched digital book lending for libraries 20 years ago to make this work. We started with replicating really the legacy model that libraries and publishers have been using for well over a hundred plus years. We call it the one copy, one user. Publishers and authors and libraries understood that if they bought 20 copies of Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone in print, that library would have 20 copies available for 20 readers to borrow at any one time. And if others wanted it at the same time, they would be on a wait list or place a hold. And when a unit became available or a book was returned, it'd then be available for the next user. So that model is still in use and is still the mainstay of creating a balance where publishers and authors know that if there's broad demand for a popular book, the library, to satisfy that demand, may have to buy dozens or hundreds of units at a price that the publisher sets. Now, that model is still in use today, but over the years, we have added about a dozen other models that each publisher, author, and institutional buyer can take advantage of. A second most popular model now is simultaneous use. And it's pretty much like a subscription that if a publisher or a collection is available for a community, a school, a library to license for a one-year subscription, everybody with a library card or everyone with a student ID at the same time can borrow the book. There's never a wait list. It's always available. That's a very popular model in the school markets. Those models help us help communities create book clubs, summer reading programs. Together we read campaigns. We've had many of those in the last year or two because of COVID and, and pandemic response and relief where communities needed access to these materials and these titles. And publishers would agree to allow a community to acquire access for whether it's two weeks, three months, or a year, simultaneous access. And it's evolved into many other flavors of access models. In some cases now, we enable entire catalogs to be available for readers to browse and, and review, and the library hasn't purchased any of them. And it's a pay-as-you-go. It's a pay-per-view, or we call it a cost-per-cert, cost-per-checkout. And this allows demand to determine how the library is using its funds. They could put in a whole range of books. There's no cost to the library or school. But if readers or students select and borrow a particular title, at the end of the month, the library or school is charged based on actual usage. There's many other variations of that. So to answer your question, we are always evangelizing. Our mission is 
to connect as many readers with authors and books. And the publishers want discovery of their collections. Authors want discovery and use and socialization and promotion of their books, their new books, and their backlist. And through the Overdrive Marketplace, we have created probably the largest superstore for how schools, libraries, government institutions worldwide can evaluate opportunities to serve their communities with digital books, digital media. And in many cases, they could look at a single title and have multiple options and how they want to purchase it for the use intended. What, what have been some of the, the consequences unforeseen of the scale that you've achieved in terms of how people, readers, are, are interfacing with, with content and, and books um, and how that's changed over the years? Are, are there, you know, what, what, are, what have been kind of the second order effects of some of the implications of just this increased access to, to reading and, and books and, and the different models um, on the business side uh, that, that have surprised you along the way? Well, all of the major innovations and the dramatic success, which is reflected in the billions of server calls that we are experiencing on our platform and on our networks each week, is because of the great leadership and work of so many brilliant librarians and educators and public servants. Every step forward that Overdrive has made in how digital books became a successful aspect of a community's library or a growing component for a student's academic success is because of the challenges that were presented to us as a, as a team here in Cleveland to imagine how we may help them in their mission. So when you ask me about, there have been every week new revelations of trends, of outcomes that we would never have anticipated. And when we first launched, and, and this whole thing started in the basement of Cleveland Public Library and Superior Avenue with the Public Library Network today that now is, is our flagship product line. The Public Library has helped us inspire how we might take similar tools content and know-how and apply it to solve problems in the classroom or how we can apply it to the workforce to empower employees or how it might help solve problems for literacy or accessibility for communities where access to books, access to opportunity or challenge are limited. So it's, it's, it's quite difficult for me to point out any one or two of these surprises. It's been an ongoing opportunity to provide the tools, the know-how, and the content that librarians, educators, and community servants who are trying to solve problems or improve the quality and outcomes of, of, of the communities they serve. There's too many to list. It's, it's <laughs> you know, I'm focused on the unfinished business, but we are very fortunate that as a certified B mission-based company, we do envision a world enlightened by reading. And we are fortunate to have the trust of every publishing house and world's greatest authors that trust us to innovate with their products, 
and find a balance that they are comfortable with and serves all stakeholder interests. Publishers and authors want to get, you know, success in the marketplace, institutional partners, our mission base, trying to serve the communities and be good stewards of their budgets and taxpayer dollars. And we've organized ourselves into different teams. And I'm proud to say here in Cleveland, we have well over 100 uh, librarians and educators from practices, including prison librarians, literacy experts, accessibility, and those serving those with visual impairment, and how we are constantly challenging ourselves to earn the privilege of being part of these great institutions is in a, is in a, it's in a, we have a few more chapters ahead of us. I think we're still at early days. What, what do you view as the unfinished business? When, when you think about Overdrive today and, and where you are and, and how much you've accomplished, what, what are those next chapters that you're looking forward to? And well, there's been an ongoing pandemic around illiteracy. And when we want to help our libraries, help our schools, help our nation to overcome all challenges, it starts with literacy. And no one can put a digital book, a text on the screen, or put a story in your earbuds better than OverDrive. Our award-winning apps, Libby, our school reading app, our student reading app, Sora, S-O-R-A, no one can, no one can do it better. But how that changes the outcome of a student in his academic journey, how it helps prepare a household for the challenges of career change, or making decisions about their health and wellness, we have a lot of work to do. The work is on the shoulders of our institutional partners, and we're fortunate enough to have access to the world's greatest books and constantly investing in evidence-based improvements so that we can continue in this journey of making a difference in, in, in changing how our institutions best serve their communities. Yeah, how do you balance the next few chapters that, that you've just laid out with some of the, the challenges from the, the market perspective. What, what are the things that, you know, proverbially keep you up at night? What, what are the things that you worry about from the business perspective? Well, the things that keep me up at night are trying to be good or responsive partners to the institutions and suppliers we have throughout the world. <laughs> it's not, it's not the challenges that are giving me pause. It's a responsibility we have to serve our global audience of readers, institutions, and partners, whether it's the National Library of Singapore, all of the Australian, New Zealand, and Southeast Asian libraries and schools. We have a responsibility to be on call, on service, as you would expect your public institutions to be. I don't really have much anxiety as I did in early stages of the business where we went through a decade of, you know, making payroll and uh, surviving in a tech building a software company in the 80s and 90s in Cleveland, Ohio wasn't exactly the most fertile ground for fundraising or investment. So I'm fortunate to say that we are well beyond most of those keeping me up at night challenges. 
I'm more inspired by the opportunity to continue to leverage the network and the capabilities that we do have and make sure that we're not slowing down the pace of challenging ourselves to innovate and to earn the privilege of being the partners that we are with so many you know, major institutions worldwide. Yeah, on the, on the inspiration front, um, there's kind of a few macro topics I wanted to, to get your perspective on. And one of them, just kind of, we've talked quite, quite a lot already about the libraries specifically, but I'm, I'm kind of personally of this belief that libraries have to be one of the most underrated public institutions that we have in our society. And I, I feel like your relationship with them uh, and insight working with them over the last few years would love to get your perspective on how you view libraries' role in society and how they've kind of adapted with the digital advancements and, and the impact that that has on libraries and, and what you kind of foresee as the role of libraries going forward. Well, Jeff, you're correct. They are underappreciated. It is unfortunate that many of my generation have more nostalgic warm views of the library from their childhood, or maybe for the seniors that now in pre, pre-COVID just really enjoy the benefit of their local library as a resource. But libraries have been essential, essential frontline resources, underappreciated always. It's in times of challenge that the library's doors are always open without judgment, without criteria, and through every challenge that a community faces, the public library and the librarian has been a objective, caring resource similar to any of the other critical services that we appreciate in time of need. The public libraries and under our, the former director and through the continuation of Cuyahoga County Public Library, former director, Sari Feldman, who rose to become the president of the American Library Association, the oldest and the largest professional association of librarians in the world. She launched a number of years ago, a campaign called Libraries Transform. And it was a campaign to help Librarians themselves at least recognize and communicate all the way libraries transform the communities they serve and the lives they touch. Whether it's in an urban center where access to Wi-Fi, when those doors in the urban centers open at 9 a.m., if you're from a household without broadband and you're trying to find a job or get answers, or a student trying to complete their assignment, the library is an essential community resource. When their doors were closed, people were camping out in the parking lot to use the broadband Wi-Fi. In the communities across this nation and worldwide, libraries have become maker spaces, career centers, places to get prepared to learn a language, a skill. They've always helped educated our youngest citizens with story time and early literacy programs. They've created comfort and relief through their book clubs, 
and the reader advisory services. Yes, I'm proud to be a library advocate. And this is why we have a lot of unfinished work over the next few years that we are going to continue to find ways that with the digital content and our technology, how can we keep in lockstep with how you want to serve your community? Yeah, I think it's a it's a good segue to just, you know, talk briefly about the Libby app itself. I know we've mentioned it a few times here. I've used it personally. It's uh, it's incredibly easy to use. It makes everything very accessible. But I'd love for you to just give a little bit of a deeper dive into, into the Libby app and the experience and where that kind of idea came from. Well, in 2000, well, even pre-2000, OverDrive had developed desktop apps where you could purchase from an ebook store. We, prior to libraries, OverDrive had hosted e-commerce sites for the sale of an ebook to a consumer with a credit card or a download audiobook. So OverDrive for over 20 years has had desktop and mobile apps allowing you to select, download, and enjoy a digital book. When we were evolving in the early days, even in public library, one of the most popular earliest routines was for a library card holder to download an audiobook to their PC and then burn CDs for the car. And I'm going well before well before smartphones, iPods, and and the like. But over the years, we constantly challenge ourselves to improve the ease of use, streamline the steps, make it easier to onboard a new user. And about four years ago, we introduced the first pre-release version of Libby, L-I-B-B-Y. Libby is one of the most decorated ebook and audiobook and magazine apps in the market at the Apple Store 4.8 stars and proud to constantly find ways to delight and surprise readers worldwide we just added support for four additional languages so libby is being used globally for native books in the user interface all over the world our job is to promote and showcase the great work of the local library who has invested in digital books for their users. I can tell you that if you have never tried to download an ebook or audiobook, if you install Libby, Libby is conversational and has a variety of built in conveniences. Libby will say, if you don't have a library card, let's find your local library. In about 70 metro markets, you can instantly start to borrow and read using your mobile phone number and get you an instant digital card. Libby finds your library. Libby lets you create an instant digital card. And then Libby allows you to browse and explore from, in the case of many markets, hundreds of thousands of best-selling books for yourself, for your family, for your career or just for any hobby, interest, or, or just for fun. The um, integration of Libby now into so many of the IoT platforms with the use of Android Auto, with CarPlay, we've now working with dozens of major platforms and appliance companies who are promoting Libby and access to an audiobook anywhere you are. 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a pretty incredible experience, I will say, from an app perspective. Just the onboarding, it's it is remarkably easy to use, <laughs> and it, it it is it is a delightful experience. So, it's uh, if you haven't tried magazines in Libby, we have access through many of our libraries to over three thousand current issues and back issues. And if it's an article view like the New Yorker or the Economist, you can resize a reflowable type. If you're looking at one of the more tabloid style or who wore it better, you have all the high res graphics, pinch and zoom. It's uh, getting a tremendous amount of engagement and helping libraries reach segments of the community that hadn't found a reason to get a library card or appreciate their local library. And Libby is uh, part of that equation. One of the, the, again, the more macro level things I was curious about, and I, I'm just your own personal perspective on this. I, I am a little bit of an old soul and I feel like I have this proclivity towards physical paper books, <laughs> but obviously understanding the, the benefits of, of the eBooks and, and the accessibility of it. But I'm just curious in your own perspective how you have kind of balanced maybe the nostalgia for the old hard copy paper books with the proliferation of the of ebooks and and really being a driving force behind it in, in our society. Well, at Overdrive, we believe in books and reading and we love books in all formats. I buy books, as does many of our Libby users, our library users, our surveys of our digital books and digital audiobooks constantly demonstrate that people that borrow books from the library buy more books than people that don't use the library. And we, again, as partnering with our publishing houses, we work with them in a variety of ways and we promote reading in all forms. We believe that digital has a convenience and always available. You can, at the last minute, remember that you left and you didn't pick up a book to take with you. So we're very comfortable and confident in the role that digital books, digital audio magazines have complementing the industry and all stakeholders. We also love and support all of our booksellers, independent booksellers and the national and major booksellers. We believe that books and reading need more promotion and more customers because books and reading as a, as a community and overall has been on the decline with the advent of all the other digital media, streaming video, social media. So we promote and celebrate books in all forms. Print is great. And, you know, in many cases, we find readers that want to have a great book and they may start it in one format, get in the car, want to listen to it, come home at night and sit in an easy chair and pick up the hardcover. It's all good. <laughs> Are you optimistic about the future of reading with this growing competition for all these other mediums trying to vie for our attention and our time? Well, we are champions of reading, and as a matter of fact, potentially as a result of the pandemic, the publishing industry in the U.S. has had some record and banner years. So while 
Consumer media consumption surveys over the last few decades have shown a decline in the amount of minutes adult Americans spend reading long form. We still feel optimistic because we still have a vast majority of Americans who have yet to experience a digital book on a screen or in a set of earbuds or on their walk. I can tell you, I read on my smartphone daily. I listen to audiobooks. And when I talk to some of my friends or, or those that aren't familiar with downloading an ebook, many will say, oh, well, I could never read a book on, a sc- on, on my phone. And so I said, have you ever had an audiobook? Have you ever had a professional actor read you a great story? or allow you to be up to date with that new self-help or business or wellness title. And then when I, when I talk about audiobooks, two-thirds of adult Americans have never listened to an audiobook. So yes, reading overall has been challenged with all of the new forms of digital media, social media, online entertainment, streaming video, but we still have a tremendous set of greenfield opportunities to introduce and promote great books and great stories as a result of the mobile phones and and the ubiquitous broadband Wi-Fi and IoT devices. What are your favorite kinds of books to consume? (laughs) Well, I am always with about five business or self-help titles. I also love a lot of the investigative journalism titles. I don't want to start naming names because it'll, it'll get, you know, there's, we've made a lot of money in the last few years with political <laughs> genres. <laughs> but, um, you know, reading Think Again or Sanjay Gupta's Keep Sharp or Understanding, I'm always trying, you know, self-improvement, wellness, and, and, you know, leadership and, and business acumen. I'm so fortunate that our local libraries, whether it's Cleveland Public through Cleveland Consortium or Cuyahoga County Public Library or many of the other regional systems, they're constantly adding all the New York Times bestsellers. And every book that is the hot book, the it book, we have access to it through our local public library. It's a long list. And through the authors that come into town are now the virtual author events that are hosted by our local libraries. It's a real pleasure to have some cases early access. I'll I'll tell you, um, I had the great honor of interviewing Anita Hill Hmm. for 40 minutes in advance of her upcoming book, which will be released by which is upcoming by Penguin Random House next month called Believing, The 30-Year Journey to End Gender-Based Violence. And reading that galley, as they call it, pre-release, I had to print it out from a protected PDF on 400 pages because it's not out yet to book. <laughs> yeah. The honor I had of being the first one to interview Professor Anita Hill on the 30-year anniversary of her testimony before the U.S. Senate House Judiciary Committee, at the time chaired by Senator Joe Biden, 
I don't want to give you a spoiler alert, but he makes appearance in the end of the book again as president. So I'm a lucky guy. I get access to every book and too many books, not enough time. That is the, that's the challenge of it for sure. <laughs> I know we're, we're coming a little bit up on time here. One of the stories uh, that I wanted to hear about specific really to, to Overdrive is it's always fun to understand what's in a name. And I, I know Overdrive was not actually the original name of the company. And I, I wanted to, to kind of hear the, the story of how Overdrive itself came to be and, and what happened there back when you were starting it. In the earliest days when we first did products, I, I was doing law books and, and then Microsoft had entered the market and I created the name TurboSoft. And by the way, I'm a car guy. I have a passion and I love cars. Always have. Used to work on them and still fascinated with automotive fun. So I was in a situation where I needed to change the company name. And without getting into details, there was a trademark dispute. The term overdrive in the car business at the time is um, the highest gear in the car that allowed you to shift into overdrive and go fastest, most efficiently. And I was working on an add-on product. And we released a software product I called Overdrive. And that's our name. Go fast, more efficiently. And it came from the automotive reference. My first, some of my first icons was a old Hearst stick shift. Because I'm from the era where the performance cars, you know, were manuals with a, a stick shift. So that's, that's the history of overdrive. The automotive reference shift into overdrive was a phrase we used when we were building it was in the early 90s I got a call from Bill Gates who wanted to introduce a new product called Word 1.0. And I was invited up and Microsoft and Bill became an early investor in Overdrive. And we built Overdrive for Word when, because at the time he was trying to take market share from WordPerfect and WordStar. And he assigned me to work with a young product manager at the time, Melinda French, who he wound up marrying Melinda French Gates now. So yeah, Overdrive comes from my car hobby and interest, and it's been a great name. <laughs> Wonderful. That's a, that's a fun story. Well, one of the things that uh, we ask everyone who, who comes on the, the podcast is to share not necessarily their favorite thing in Cleveland, but for something that other people may not know about Cleveland, their hidden gems, uh, if you will. And so with that, I will Ask you, Steve, for your, your hidden gems here in Cleveland. Well, that's easy. If you haven't had a tour of the Cleveland Public Library downtown on Superior Avenue, you're missing out on one of the greatest treasures, not only in Cleveland, but in the nation. There are special collections, there are map rooms, there are chess collections. It's amazing how many folks have not taken a tour, a self-guided tour of the main Cleveland Public Library. There's two libraries. There's the Stokes Tower as well. And on the 10th floor, you get amazing views of the lakeside. But there are so many wonderful library branches with Cleveland and Cuyahoga County and our surrounding counties. You know, Ohio is blessed with some of the best libraries in the world by all systems, all ratings, nationally and internationally. So if you haven't had a tour of the 
Cleveland Public Library on Superior Avenue, you're missing an amazing a treat. So that's my recommendation. Yeah, I, I will second that one. The, the Cleveland Public Library, it really blew me away the first time I, I ever went. Just the, the breadth and incredible variety of things that they offer there is pretty extraordinary. <laughs> well, Steve, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the story of Overdrive. And I am excited for your chapters ahead and, and how the world of reading may change and, and <laughs> the impact that Overdrive is going to have in, in that. So thank you for, for coming on and, and telling your story. My pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. And to your listeners, support your local library. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on this show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.